the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide and ArchD Radio and Podcasting. This is the Parishes of Adelaide podcast. I'm Michaela Howard-Jones. And I'm James Meston. On today's episode, we'll be spending time with the Panola and Plimpton parishes. On Monday afternoon, James and I connected on Zoom with Father Michael, parish priest at Panola, and Marie, the coordinator of the Mary McKillop Panola Centre. We started with Father Michael reading and reflecting on this Sunday's Gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus put another parable before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everybody was asleep, his enemy came, sowed darnel all among the wheat and made off. When the new wheat sprouted and ripened, the darnel appeared as well. The owner's servants went to him and said, Sir, was it not good seed that you sowed in your field? If so, where does the darnel come from? Some enemy has done this, he answered. And the servants said, Do you want us to go out and weed it out? But he said, No, because when you weed out the darnel, you might pull up the wheat with it. Let them both grow till the harvest. And at harvest time, I shall say to the reapers, first collect the darnel and tie it in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the biggest shrub of all and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and shelter in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour till it was leavened all through. In all this, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he would never speak to them except in parables. This was to fulfill the prophecy. I will speak to you in parables and expound things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then leaving the crowds, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain the parable about the darnel in the field to us. He said in reply, The sower of the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the subjects of the kingdom. The darnel, the subjects of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them, the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Well then, just as the darnel is gathered up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of time. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his out of his kingdom all things that provoke offences and all who do evil, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Then the virtuous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen, anyone who has ears. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. Listen, anyone who has ears, these uh, last words of today's Gospel should be familiar to us as they're the same imperative words of the Lord from the end of the parable from last Sunday also. It's a challenge from the Lord for us to take some action steps on what he's actually said. Last Sunday, if we remember, the parable focused on the seed 
that yields various results when it's scattered on the four different soils. So we can be closed off and impenetrable like the path. We can allow ourselves to listen without hearing. Now, I'm sure you know that kind of passive listening when you're sort of staring at someone and smiling, but really you're thinking about how you can escape the conversation and, and thinking about something else that's going to go on. You probably think about lunch or dinner. We can also be a bit like the rocky soil. We let God into our lives, but we don't allow him to actually change our lives. We end up with these shallow roots that wither at the first sign of some pressure or persecution. We've got this kind of veneer that's hollow inside, maybe like an Ikea table. It'd be the difference uh, when the pressure comes of punching a gyprock wall as opposed to punching a stone wall. We, we've got the thorns. They're the, the seed that springs up. Basically, they just exist. The, the plants don't actually die. It sort of survives, but it doesn't bear any fruit. And then we've got the rich soil, which is absorbed in the scripture and tradition and filled with the nutrients of prayer and the sacraments. And so also, just as last week, this Sunday's gospel has Jesus doing the explanation himself. I guess we can say he gives the homily, so I could probably pack up and, and sit down. But he actually presents three parables, with the one about the darnel taking up the majority of his attention. So Jesus explains that he's the sower of the seed, the field is the world, the good seed is the subject, are the subjects of the kingdom, the darnel, the subjects of evil, and the harvest is the end of the world. This week's and last week's parables are very helpful for us to keep at the front of our mind uh, when we're talking about our efforts of evangelization and apost apostolic work. We can be tempted to give up because we don't see the immediate results of our work. Now, I'm very conscious that this message is coming via a podcast on social media. This voice from the Archdiocese is but a small voice amongst the many competing, the many confusing and noisy voices that are out there jumping for our attention. I guess you could say we are like one of the strands of wheat amongst a fair bit of darnel out there in the field of social media and other forms of communication. So should we become discouraged because there are noisier voices than ours? Well, no, the noise from the darnel actually provides a stark contrast to the transforming message of the wheat that grows alongside. It's its purity and authenticity. The darnel reminds us that in seeking to build up Christ's kingdom, there will always be opposition and contradiction. If you just think, weeds and wheat grows to grow together side by side. Where there are saints, there are going to be sinners. Where there are missionaries, there are going to be martyrs. Where Christ comes to change lives, mockery and persecution will follow. Sometimes we can think that following Christ will bring us to some sort of utopia, some sort of fantasy land where everything will go smoothly, it will all be perfect. We actually delude ourselves. The reality is there will always be illness, family problems, broken relationships, financial worries, unmet expectations. The difference lies in the way that we choose to respond. And on our personal level, striving for holiness is a daily task. We can be tempted to be our own judge and jury. There's nothing more dangerous than appointing yourself as your own spiritual director. We can be overzealous in the attempt to root out sin from our lives and the lives of others. The Lord's warning to the farmhands who wanted to tear out the weeds was that they might harm the wheat as well. He wants them to wait until harvest. There will be a day of reckoning but it's not now, and that reckoning is done by God and not by you and not by me. Imagine either admitting a weed into our life, thinking it was wheat, 
or excluding wheat thinking it was a weed. A rash judgment is when we jump to conclusions about something or someone and many times those rash judgments are simply wrong. Unfortunately, there are as many rash judgments in our society today as there are weeds, even from Christian quarters. Our Lord is the just judge. Let's leave the judging to him. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Father Michael, that was that was fantastic. Thank you very much for that. That's the job. That's it. That's well, you know, I mean, this is kind of uh, this is uh, homilies are kind of in your wheelhouse, aren't they? Really? I mean, it's that's a gig, really. Um, Uh, Or part of it, I should say. If, if if we're struggling, there's something wrong. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, I, I love though, um, just in that, uh, just the connection to the other um, the, the other gospels that have preceded it, and also other readings that that concern themselves with uh, in connection with with today's reading. And secondly, I love that uh, Parishes of Adelaide podcast has finally made its way into homily. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, I think you've just blessed our podcast, Father Michael. By Oh, well, you know, try my best. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, Father Michael, uh, parish priest of Panola Parish, as well as Marie, who is... Director, would that be what you'd call yourself of the Mary McKillop Panola Centre, Marie? More coordinator, coordinator, coordinator of the centre. Yes, it's all staffed by volunteers. I'm the only uh, paid position, part time there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you've been there since you said uh, just just prior to COVID starting. Yes, I just started uh, about two or three weeks and then we had to close the center unfortunately due to the uh, situation with COVID-19. A very sad time because I think that was the only time it's ever been closed uh, for 22 years. Wow so that must have been a real because all of this stuff and we'll be talking about this in terms of how it affected the parish but I guess we're in a unique position here with the fact you know Mary McKillop's life in Panola was such a such a powerful one and and such a a big part of her of her history Um, starting in a new job like is always difficult because you always come into it with um, you know a lot of plans a lot of expectations a lot of hopes and quite often when you're actually sort of in the job interview you and preparing for the role you, you you're bubbling over with all these ideas you kind of hit the ground running and you're like yeah 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 and then all of yes. a sudden i mean how many weeks did you say before that did you find out okay yes. well i guess that plan's not going to quite be what happens now yes it was about two or three weeks and a very hard decision to close um but of course a lot of our volunteers fall in that vulnerable situation of course so it was really a it was really a decision made to protect and keep them safe as well as uh, the visitors of course but yeah very hard decision to make um and of course yes as you said i had only started with uh, great hopes and expectations mm. and and uh, during the last few weeks, I've found myself more of a maintenance uh, person, um, overseeing. What sort of the, stuff? Uh, what sort of things? Yeah, kind of doing the overseeing painting and uh, the changing over of our um, lighting to LED. 
LED. So some of these jobs that were difficult to do when we are open seven days a week to mm. get uh, tradesmen in without ex um, affecting our volunteer, uh, volunteers or our visitors. So it has been in that sense a positive thing to uh, be able to do some of these jobs that we couldn't do otherwise. But sure. certainly a different part of the role for me. <laughs> so talk a little bit, Marie, about um, when we were talking a little bit beforehand, before we started recording, we were talking yes. about the relationship between the, uh, actually it might have been with Father Michael when I was talking to him about the relationship between the Mary MacKillop Interpretive Centre and the parish of Panola. Can you talk a little bit about what that relationship is? Because I imagine it would have uh, developed and changed and altered a lot over over the years that the, uh, that the centre has actually been there. <laughs> Yes, well, I suppose, um, and Father Michael can uh, jump in at any stage, but um, but the, the um, schoolhouse uh, where Mary taught and began uh, was there in 1867, was built, um, and so many of the parishioners uh, had their children in the school, and I think that's continued up to this very day. There is a, a, a big, strong connection between the parish and the centre. It was a lot of the parishioners who uh, pushed to save the schoolhouse, to renovate the schoolhouse, to um, build the interpretive centre. So it's always been um, a joint kind of effort between the uh, the parish people and uh, and 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 keeping that spirit alive of Mary McKillop and uh, Father Woods. Can I ask you a question, Marie? Just something. This is only for my own personal curiosity. <laughs> yes. I, I've never been down uh, to Panola and actually gone to the schoolhouse, the one that Mary McKillop uh, was there and taught in. Yes. Is there a feeling in that space when you walk in there? Do, do you oh. get a sense of something bigger than yourself in there? I, I don't want to say it would make it sound cheesy or anything, but when you actually walk no. into a place that really does have such a big part of, I guess, our Catholic history here in South Australia, do you feel something? Yes. Do you sense something? Every day. Every, every day. day. Yes, every day. So how many I times have you been? How many, time, how many times have you walked in there? Oh, I've been a volunteer there for 18 years before taking up this position in the last few months. But every time I go in that room, in that schoolroom, I feel, um, and the, the words come to me, I'm standing on holy ground. And when you come, you must come, um, I'm sure you will feel that will. as well. We do get a lot of visitor comments from the centre itself. It's beautiful um, architecture. Um, and the feeling is just one of calmness. And you can really uh, appreciate the story. But the schoolhouse is very special. Something that really caught my attention was how beautifully you speak to the, the history that you've got really rooted there in Panola, especially related to Mary McKillop. But um, being a, a young Christian myself, I really, um, would love to know how do you find the response um, of youth um, and the people that that live there of, of young Christians connect to the history and and what do you guys do to try and facilitate that because that's something so important to me and I'd love to hear about it 
Yes, well, I guess here in the southeast we are sparsely populated, <laughs> so we do probably um, more youth through the school groups that come through and family groups. Even today, the centre's closed. I had a, um, a father and daughter from uh, Strathalban uh, going to school at Matt Barker, and she's doing a project on Mary McKillop. She's in year five. <laughs> and of course, I had to let them in to have a look. Um, but yeah. you, can't, you can't turn your but, back on a year five girl beating on the I door, going, know. "Let me in! I want to learn more about Mary McKillop." Yeah. You'd be like, "Ah, oh, no, forget and, it." Uh, she was focusing on the compassion that Mary McKillop had, and uh, and it was wonderful to talk to her about that. So I think. Um, youth from all over are interested but don't necessarily visit the center uh, a lot of it is online now as you would know <laughs> uh, but we certainly welcome anyone to come and visit our center you did say that um, a lot of people are really interested but but they don't necessarily come in and visit if mm -hmm. you could if you could think of one thing one reason why you would say people really need to come in and visit what would that be what is the difference between just learning about it and actually mm -hmm. having the experience of coming and visiting yes I think it's kind of what we were talking about before the feeling that when you're there uh, you and faced with her life story you really get um, a deep feeling of all the trials and tribulations and the shining outcomes you know the sisters of saint joseph has have done a tremendous job in keeping that story alive helping people up to this very day so i think uh, by coming there you do um, get immersed in the story and it is a feeling we we have a very simple display there um, but i think it is more powerful for it uh, and of course the schoolhouse as i said before you have that you can see where Mary slept, where she ate. The schoolroom is set up uh, with displays on education, and uh, you get a feeling for the kids there. We still have our wood fire in the in the winter, so it, oh, gee, that'd be how, nice about now. Yeah, <laughs> the conditions they had to put up with. But I think it's the the overall feeling that you get when you're there that you you can read about it. But I think coming to this country, Mary McKillop country, uh, you do. You feel it. Wonderful. Yeah. So, Father Michael, we're pretty much now, I, I guess you'd say we're at the tail end of this whole COVID well, thing. Let's hope so, yeah. Well, well okay, let's, yeah, fingers crossed that, that that's, that's the case. I know that um, a lot of, uh, there are some other states of Australia that aren't as um, fortunate as us, especially one, I guess it's much closer to you than it is to, to us here. Um, yeah. But uh, from the way things stand at the moment, I mean, for me, like going to masses on weekends, with the exception of the fact that we're sitting um, a little bit further apart than we usually would and that we're not participating completely in the Eucharist as we as we normally would. Um, mm -hmm. On the whole, everything seems a bit more back to normal. Is that kind of how it feels for you guys in Panola as well? I think for us in Panola, definitely. I mean, we've, we've had masses now for the last eight weeks um, in Panola. Uh, obviously starting smaller mm. so the the uh, as soon as the restrictions were lifted um, I wrote to Bishop O'Kelly who was still in charge at the time just saying hey listen you know I think for our people I'll be able to do this to get you know as many people as possible through for mass mm -hmm. because people are craving for it 
So he gave permission uh, for, a, I guess you, he called it ad experimentum as an experiment. Uh, so we were really the first parish in the Archdiocese together with Naracourt to have Sunday Masses again, which meant I had two Masses on Saturday evening uh, uh, for 10 people with uh, administrative assistance, as it was put, and uh, three on Sunday morning. But like Marie just mentioned about the young girl turning up, knocking on the door, you know, someone else turned up for, a, you know, I had to say, a fourth Mass, which, you know, had, kind of breaks the rules a bit. But uh, when you look at our faculty sheet, it said, you know, in extraordinary circumstances, you've got to do what's possible. <laughs> so, More people want Mass. I think it's a break glass. Have you got like in case of emergency break glass? You've got the yeah, 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 a bit like that. So I think you know the pastoral situation demanded it, Um, but uh, the response from the people in Panola Parish has been amazing. You know, just that desire to to want to get back to some normality. So following following our procedures and protocols that we put in place, everyone's been very very compliant and just happy to go that extra mile to make sure that we can be at mass so for you um through this whole thing i mean i guess when all this started and you know we we knew that we had to shut everything down to a certain degree weren't sure for how long it was going to be there was probably a whole bunch of things that probably went through your mind at that time of going oh what's going to happen what's this going to be like and you'd, you'd project you'd go oh these are the sorts of things that I'm going to have to do and these are the certain things we're going to have to leave out what for you now that we're kind of hopefully nearing the end of all this what for you has been the thing that's happened that you've probably like predicted the least that's taken you by surprise through all this yeah there's there was no course on i must have skipped it on coronavirus at the seminary there was no sort of (laughs) program of saying this is what you have to do when yeah really yeah yeah really you know uh, this is kind of what you do in a pandemic so a lot of it was just actually having to stop and going okay uh, i'd actually been following what, what was happening in italy because i have relatives overseas and i'd seen what was going on there and i was following what the italian bishops were doing uh just putting an ear to the ground what are they doing now that they don't have masses and i tried to pick up some of their uh suggestions about what to do, especially, you know, praying uh, on Sunday when there's no mass, that sort of stuff. So I, w- I was kind of preparing the parish before it actually hit us because the writing was on the wall. I guess the thing that probably has surprised me the most is that there's a greater desire to participate at mass, that people, you know, when when you're saying to people, you've got to book into mass and all of a sudden the emails go crazy and the phone starts ringing. Um, I, th- I think there's, that's really heartened me to know that people just got this burning desire to get, get connected uh, to the celebration of Mass. I mean, as I said, uh, said to the people, I said, you know, there's only so many live stream Masses you can watch because uh, live stream Mass is a bit like watching someone else eat. You're, you're still hungry and you, get, and, and, you get, and you get no nutritional value from it. So I love that. That's awesome. So that, that, that's the thing, you know, people can, and you know some of the live stream masses have been really helpful. I know, uh, especially at Easter time, St Mary's Cathedral and our cathedral, as, uh, a lot of parishioners have been extremely grateful to Father Anthony at the cathedral and the, and all those who have put efforts in there. Mm. Uh, so that's been helpful, especially for those who are a little bit more remote. Uh, for, but Father Michael, yeah. can I add in there? Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> 
Uh, one thing that I think the community appreciated when we couldn't have mass was when Father Michael was on his own saying mass, he would ring the bells, the church bells. No, so that I forgot about that. If you're, in, if you're in town and you hear the bells, you know that somebody is saying mass. And it was quite a lovely thing to have in Panola and a lot of comments, Catholics and non-Catholics really uh, loved it. Yeah, I, re I remember getting stopped in IGA, someone saying, who died? Why are the bells ringing all the time? And, um, and having to explain, no, that means, you know, I, I lets the Catholics know and everyone know in town that Mass is being said every day for them. Yesterday afternoon, James and I headed down to Plimpton for our second parish conversation of the week and sat down with Father Dennis, Deacon Paul and Pastoral Associate Marianne. Do you feel, Marianne, that are we kind of at the end of all this now, all of this COVID stuff? Is it is it done? From like, or I mean, you, you want to touch wood here and say that, like, we hope it's done. But from a parish point of view, are you back to business as usual pretty much at this point? No, I wouldn't say we are. No. Um, I had hoped that we were on the way to to being back to business as usual and I still do hope that but the experience of what's happening in Victoria and could perhaps be happening in New South Wales really brings me back to the realisation that we've still got to be very, very careful or we could end up back where we were in late March, early April. If you had to kind of... Um put your finger on one particular thing that has happened over the whole course of this period, like literally from when this all began, I think it was early March, this all began around early March, through to now, has there been kind of like one moment in this whole experience so far that really stands out to you that's been kind of unusual or perhaps you don't believe you ever would have had if it hadn't been for this, for this whole COVID thing? Well, I suppose for me the thing is I had been overseas in March Oh, so where I, were you? I'd been to Mexico, New York and United Arab Emirates. Oh, right. So all around. Yeah. Mm. So um, I had expected to come back and be full on into the, doing the sacramental program. Um, and I come back and I went into isolation. And then just when I was looking forward to getting back into the parish, we decided, you know, we'd close the office down and just come in on alternate days and work from home. So from when I left in early February, it was just so normal and, and I came back to a different world. So that was – who would have ever believed, even though I knew there was a virus in China and perhaps we might have to be a little bit careful when I left in 14th of February, I think mm. it was, I left. I just came back to a different world. What was, what was so different? What was the most different thing? just the isolation of everybody and everything and and the lack of um being able to be in touch with each other mm. yeah so it definitely sounds like when you say you came back and you're in this whole other world and you're thinking oh that's great coming back from this holiday and you're going to jump straight back into it and then you have to go back into isolation um it sounds like you've had all of these like false starts i suppose but I think the one thing that I've heard so much of people saying is that um, actually having isolation has given people a lot of chance to think about, okay, well, we're not doing anything right now. We can't do anything right now, but 
where can we go once this is done? So has isolation, do you think, given you many opportunities to think where are we going to move next or what opportunities can we take up given these really strict circumstances? I think one of the things that isolation has made me realise is that um, it's given people time for reflection. Um, I've never noticed so many people mention the sunset and things like that um, as since we've been in isolation. You see people make comments on Facebook and different things. Did you see that sunset? Um, And having come from a rural background where we were probably more isolated anyway and really appreciated those things probably a little bit more because they stand out a little bit more perhaps in in living in that sort of environment it takes me back to that situation and it makes me see that some some of this time in isolation has given people more time to reflect on some of the the transcendent things that God sends to us and we don't even notice a lot of the time and people are um, noticing. So that is something, a good thing I think, that's come out of this time of isolation. Do you find that people are turning maybe a little bit more um, people who perhaps weren't as in touch are turning to that as a, as a means for support through this really tough time, turning to their faith or turning to God more? People may be turning to uh, more popular practices of de- devotion a little bit more, especially when the masses were closed down, um, to more things like private prayer groups or, or even just their private prayer uh, rosary and things like that. And I've even had people say to me that they've discovered like the Divine Mercy Novena or something like that. So I think it's probably given people time to, um, well, as they've been searching, they've probably found, maybe have found other things like that. But even people, people without faith, they're probably, you know, noticing things as I said, like the sunsets and things, then they may not even be relating that to sort of some sort of transcendence of of God, but they are noticing the beauty of nature. Father Dennis, hi. (laughs) Thanks very much for coming here today and and meeting with us and and doing this this, uh, podcast with us. Um, Now, this is only, you were saying before we started recording, this is only your second winter here. How are you finding... Adelaide winters because you are from Uganda you were saying beforehand so Uganda and Australia I don't believe share too much um, similarities in terms of um, climate no no how would you describe the climate in Uganda the climate is largely tropical with just a few areas that experience equatorial climate and you, you were mentioning, I love what you mentioned before, you said that you actually had an opportunity to go and stand straddling the equator and had one foot in the northern hemisphere and, and one foot and in the, the southern hemisphere. Did you right. really think that that would give you an indication of what life in the southern hemisphere was like? <laughs> That's the imagination. Even half? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You try to feel the temperature variation. Did you feel a big legs. difference? 
it's just slight. Yeah, but as you get to that point, you always try to figure out what it will all be. So mm-hmm. as you place the leg on the I'm sure none of it was in your head at all. None of it was. That was all it was totally legitimate. That yep. line in the sand or line on the um yep. line on the earth there was a completely legitimate not just a um, sort of like an equatorial marker. It was a total division of climate. On one yep. side is this side, snow on one side, people basking in hot sun on the other side. Yep. Exactly? No, it's not that, but the imagination is that. Yes. Okay. Yep. So I would imagine that um, parish life between Uganda and Australia would be quite different. Yep. Um, but I would imagine that there would have been nothing that could have prepared you potentially for parish life either in Uganda or here in Australia for the hit of this COVID-19 thing starting. I mean, this is something that is unprecedented Definitely. Of, of all time. What's been the biggest challenge for you that you perhaps might not have thought that you'd have to face through all this? Celebrating Easter alone yeah. here in church. Talk about that. What was that like? The experience I've had with Easter back at home was that it's one of the days when many people come to church and with the Christmas experience I got the same picture here that during other days the number is not that big here comes a situation where even prior to the celebration of Easter Many parishioners call the parish office to inquire whether they can come from us, mm. but the restrictions had been put in place. So I imagine maybe on Holy Third Saturday, the government would at least lift a few restrictions. So you were so waiting we for celebrate. Yeah, you were waiting for it to happen. I really expected that. And how did you feel when when it didn't happen? Well, I was understanding, but I had lots of pain to celebrate Easter alone because a celebration of victory with people we journey turn into a celebration of victory alone creates several question marks in my mind. What questions? I would imagine, am I just obsessed? Am I abnormal? Why would you think that? Have the parishioners deserted me? Why did you think? But you you knew why, like, they weren't there. They were there for a reason we weren't allowed to be together. Why did you you let those thoughts become a part of it? Do they just naturally find their way in? I imagined they quite really knew what was going on, just as I did. But then, psychologically, preparing my mind was quite hard. Mm. I accept something because it has happened for the good of us all. But then I know a reality I've been experiencing right from childhood about Easter. And now I imagine Dennis... Is it all about you? Is it all about the situation? How can this really be? And as I think of just Easter, I imagine 
the future of the church will this be for ages mm. because right from the advent of the lockdown period there were many imaginations where will you get food where will you get toilet papers shelves in the supermarkets are running empty this is a situation we steadily get into without any hope for a brighter future without any hope that maybe restrictions would be lifted as it is today mm. so with all this imagination i come to the church that's a lot to have to sit with oh as time went by i actually accepted it you say that um when that moment when you had to had to realize that this wasn't going to over easter the restrictions weren't going to be lifted and i'm sure that was so devastating but then you went on to say um as they have been lifted now yeah. so you guys have resumed having services and and gone you know relatively back to normal what was that moment like when you found out for the first time that you were able to go back to having services and having masses surely it was a moment of great joy i even had to share with Paul here about what i was feeling when i celebrated mass alone and how i felt that day when i would say the lord be with you and at least i would hear Paul's voice respond and with your spirit and then imagine back to what i had just gone through talking to myself the lord be with you and with your spirit and other parts of mass where at least i expect dialogue and now i do it all alone it was really challenging but that moment of joy created lots of hope and also the support and the yearning of the parishioners to return to mass and celebrate together mm. when we limit the church to a building and fail to go out personally to each parishioner there are many elements of their pressing needs of their plans for the church that we miss the lockdown has been a wonderful opportunity that away from the normal routine pushed us into these areas that we've tapped greatly and that has also affected the way we currently operate being a parish that is so quite literally connected with its school um how did you find the response of all of the students to this because because i think that um something people don't often realize is that kids can be so adaptive um but how did you find the response to having to change things up and and having to you know follow all of these rules all of a sudden certainly one of the big differences for for us as a community was the fact that we weren't having regular school masses and school liturgies that was always a feature being so closely linked with the school um and that was just canned for for the time for the for the covid period and um in fact our first opportunity to have a mass as i was saying earlier on um recently was a uh, uh the feast of the solemnity of or the solemnity of st john the baptist which is our 
obviously patronal feast um, here at the at the school at the parish, um, and we would have normally had a whole of school mass. Um, so uh, what was great to actually be with the children, some of the children in the school assembly hall, and the rest of the children were connected by in their own classrooms with the with Zoom technology. So. So I, the kids have been great at adapting to the whole process. Uh, um, I think I, I think they they, they seem to f- fare better than us uh, <laughs> in that process. Yeah, yeah. Marianne, uh, we we're so used to in parish life, you know, in the mass, finding the Holy Spirit most present with us in the Eucharist. We spend the whole time of the the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist leading up to that moment where we experience uh, uh, Jesus through through the Eucharist itself. At a time when we are not able to experience that as we've seen over the last number of months, have you found the Holy Spirit present in different places around parish life outside of the Eucharist? Well, I was just thinking as Paul was speaking about the school mass with the children and the beautiful singing that the group of children that um, were present in the uh, St John the Baptist Hall for that mass we had, it was absolutely amazing and a credit to the teacher who um, prepared them for that but... Their singing was just beautiful and it just – it was quite emotional that to hear them sing so beautifully. Mm. Um, young children too and they did a wonderful job. Yeah, so, but, you know, I find the spirit present in the readings of the word and, and that is another thing I think that people have tended to do more – well, I myself have during the lockdown um, – focus a little bit more on reading – reading Acts and the Gospels and, and reading the Word and I'm sure quite a few other people have done the same. And, and you found that's deepened your faith journey along the way, would you say it has? Well, anything that you do like that can only feed you spiritually, I think, and, and help and deepen. The word deepen, I mean, how deep do we go? We've always got further to go. But, yeah, it's definitely a great spiritual food. Parishes of Adelaide is a production of ArchD Radio and Podcasting for the Catholic Archdiocese of Adelaide. You can subscribe to this podcast and have it delivered to your device every Wednesday as soon as it's released on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. You can see the full music credits in the show notes. If you think there are other people who may enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And if there are others you know or in your parish who don't have the technology to listen to podcasts on their phone, iPad, computer or other digital device, we can make CDs of this podcast available. Please contact James by email. That's in the show notes too. And we'll work out how to get those to you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.